Crimes While Caffeinated contains graphic and explicit content that may not be suitable to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. I moved the microphone because I was listening back to some of our old episodes and the breathing um, heavy. The <laughs> now I have to cut that out. <laughs> and also just how loud I am in general. So I'm going to try to be quiet and keep the microphone further away from my mouth so that there's no br- intense breathing or uh, screaming because mm. I'm I'm very loud. I'm sorry. I Yeah, you are. I apologize. Oh, you're good. I'm just going to quickly shut the door because I have um the two dogs in here and I know that my parents are going to be coming home soon okay and they'll they like to bark like a fucking maniac so okay go do what you need to do all right now that it's just us me and listeners um can hear you (laughs) I have so many secrets to tell I'm gonna just talk so bad about Marissa this whole time. Oh no, never mind. Never mind. Are you talking mad shit? What? No, no. I d- I'm going to hear this back later. So. <laughs> okay. Well, Abby, you take it away. Hello and welcome to Crimes While Caffeinated. I am Abby, one of your co-hosts. And I am Marissa, your other co-host. It was funny because I was just talking to my brother about um the podcast obviously and he was like oh what's your podcast called again murder and coffee and I was like no I was like the complete opposite of both those words like not like opposite but um what's what's the word completely different synonyms synonyms that's what I was looking for um but I was like close but like no but yes um close but not quite (laughs) close but no cigar all right sorry i'm just opening up the document right okay so how are you doing oh you okay so abby is telling us about the viral pasta that her and cassidy and anna made last night Mm -hmm. so you put a bunch of cherry tomatoes in a, a baking like a casserole dish mm-hmm. <clears throat> and you put a block of feta cheese and you cover it all in olive oil and salt and pepper and you uh, bake that shit while mm-hmm. that shit's baking you cook your pasta mm-hmm. when, when that shit comes out of the oven you squish all the tomatoes and you stir up all the cheese until it's all melty and everything and then you put the pasta in and you eat it just like that so it's funny that that's viral because I have been doing that for years but like not putting it in the casserole so my go-to like when I like really want like comfort food I guess um is I do cherry tomatoes and I do feta cheese I put it on cooked pasta I put a little bit of olive oil and then do salt, pepper, and, like, Italian seasoning and just, like, mix it up. And, like, the heat from the pasta melts the cheese a little bit. And I just eat it like that. So 
Yeah, that's that's basically the same thing. Yeah, that's basically the exact same thing. Except and, that the tomatoes aren't cooked, so. Yeah. Um, but it was bomb as fuck. Like and what I'm know. saying is that I'm a hipster. I did it before. It was cool. You're ahead of the game, and for that, we are so proud of you. And by that, everyone who's listening is rolling their eyes. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so we tried that last night. It was really fucking good. Uh, well, but it was bomb as fuck. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, yeah, that's that's the only news that I have. I do feel like feta is like a underappreciated cheese, you know? Mm. But I mean, it's just, it's so good. I love feta. <laughs> feta is honestly one of my favorite cheeses. Um, I know. So. It's so good. One time, one time we were at a restaurant uh, after watching a, a performance that Aaron had done. Shout out to Aaron, mm-hmm. our social media runner. Um, we she was she used to be in this choir this group choir and we went to go see her sing and then afterwards we all went to get something to eat and Cassidy was like kind of hungry but not really hungry and we went to this like random ass diner that was near the place where she was performing and Cassidy noted that at that diner you could order just a side of feta cheese so clearly Greek (laughs) for seven dollars so she was like I will have just a side of feta cheese for seven dollars please thank you and they they gave it to her on a plate and she ate just a block of feta cheese herself my god was it like homemade in in the diner i guess i have no idea but she was like it was really good so i have a video of her being served the just the block of feta it's incredible but um (laughs) oh I love that um that is definitely something I would do the the number of times in college that I would just get a block of cheese and just like pull like a Tina Fey and 30 Rock and just like gnaw on it like maybe that was the freshman 15 (laughs) (laughs) um but anyways um yeah I'm doing well this week was a marissa get your fucking life together week so um nice i um i i'm on meds different meds now woo woo um hell yeah med change um and then i started seeing a new therapist this week and then i went to the dentist this week and then i got my student loans lowered so She's taking care of business this week. Taking yes, business. Yeah. So, um, yeah, all that. Um, and um, also, uh, I was, what was, oh, I finally, yesterday, had my Irish cream cold brew from Starbucks, which Abby recommended, and it was bomb. I was going to order something completely different, and then I was like, you know what? I'm standing in line. I'm thinking about Abby. I'm going to get this cold brew. So it's real good, real good. And that's a good segue. So uh, Abby, what are you drinking for coffee? Because I think that you might have the more interesting coffee choice. 
I do. I do have uh, an interesting coffee choice. So the coffee that I'm drinking is the same as uh, the Spanish coffee, the El Dorado coffee. But I today I am drinking it with coffee creamer that is Fruity Pebbles flavored. Now, does it taste like the cereal or does it taste like the milk after you've eaten the cereal? Uh, that's a good question. Let me hold on. Let me, let me give you a freshest answer can you do like a wine where like you put it a little bit in your mouth and you swish it around and then spit it <laughs> the aromatics for the uh for the asmr it tastes like mildly fruity pebble-ish as an aftertaste it feels like i am eating a bowl of fruity pebbles and drinking a cup of coffee at the same time and so like is that a good experience or a bad experience it's not a bad experience but it's not a good experience it's not a good experience it's just an experience yeah it's it's just like taking a bite of fruity pebbles and washing it down with some coffee it's not it's nothing that's it. That's all it tastes like. It, it just has no. It doesn't complement the coffee in any way. They they taste they're very distinct, separate tastes from each other. That's all I taste. But I mean, from from my perspective of slash experience of having fruity pebbles, a lot of times it's like the taste of fruity pebbles and then like the satisfying crunch before it gets like soggy, which yeah. is like the benefit. Um, so I feel like that experience is lacking the crunch, um, slash as well as the flavor. So if you had to give it, uh, uh, five cups of coffee out of, you know, how many cups of coffee would you determine as this satisfaction? All right. So out of five, out of five, coffee I would cup. give it like, mm -hmm. I would give it like a two and a half cups of coffee. That's what oh. I would give that's so it's like a it's like a fifty percent. It's not terrible. It's not the worst thing I've ever tasted. It's not the, it's, but it's not great. I'm not. But are I'm you not, are you telling us that we should just like skip it and like not worth trying it? It's not worth trying. No, <laughs> it was not worth trying. It it was worth for me to try because I'm also a big fan of cereal. Like I am a big mm. a big cereal, cereal person. Eater. Yeah. Yeah. So I really love the idea. Like they came out with a cinnamon toast crunch one. A cinnamon toast crunch flavored uh coffee creamer that is delightful but mm. again cinnamon is a little bit more complimentary to coffee coffee yeah <laughs> Fruity pebbles, not so not yeah. so much not so um much. my mom actually um had read this thing that um i believe that and again this is me pulling it out of the far corner of my brain so i don't know if this is correct at all but there is, I guess, this trick that you can do if, like, you are drinking coffee and you want to trick your brain into thinking it tastes sweeter, specifically, usually for, like, diabetic patients. But there's mm -hmm. something, like, about putting, like, um, cinnamon in your coffee that, like, the bitterness, like, yeah, like, it almost kind of, like, cancels each other out, I guess. But I'd have to double check with her on that and feel free to, you know, email us or comment uh, to slash you can shoot us a DM on Instagram or Twitter. 
and let us know. Maybe correct me if I'm wrong. But anyways, um, I am drinking a uh, just very bare minimum. I'm at my parents' house, so I uh, decided to use their, they have a ninja coffee maker, like the one that also makes like lattes. I didn't make the lattes because I was like, I want the bigger, um, it, it comes in one of those, like the coffee pot is basically that big metal thing that you get at like, uh, like IHOP. They like leave yeah, yeah, it on yeah. the counter. Mm-hmm. So um, I just wanted a copious amount of coffee. So I decided just to do that instead of spending the time on frothing the milk and all of that stuff. So I'm literally just drinking a Dunkin' Donuts coffee with the extra cream, extra sugar, uh, Dunkin' Donuts creamer. So I'm basically drinking Dunkin'. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of what's uh what's going on. What kind of mug do you have? Is it a plain mug? Uh, no, I'm actually drinking out of my uh, sister's Jefferson cup from her college. Um, Oh, okay. And uh, yours says what? Uh, follow your arrow? Follow your dreams. Oh, okay. Sorry. All right. Okay. So should, I... we, should we explain before we start? Um, start what, to what we have done? What we have done. <laughs> so we have taken some of your personal suggestions, um, which also, like, I don't blame you. Um, it's been a lot to do each individual episode. So today we are doing the Night Stalker, but you knew that because that was the title of the episode. Uh, <laughs> um, but we are doing two episodes in one episode. So we've watched episode one and two of the Night Stalker Netflix documentary that was released uh, January 13th, I believe. Yeah, it was pretty recently. Um, yeah, so we were super excited. I waited to watch it until I was taking notes. So um, I'm excited to be uh, <laughs> filming this today because I have lots of feelings um, and a lot of notes. Um, but uh, I definitely think that the second half of this episode is going to have to be a cwc after dark because i don't i honestly was like i don't know if i can do this with coffee this is like deep dark shit (laughs) um yeah so uh we might have to do uh after dark which we haven't done in a while so um but uh, for new listeners um that is when uh abby and i decide to get intoxicated while we talk about cases because that's a coping mechanism that my therapist would not recommend. Uh, <laughs> um, so, but it was actually funny talking to my new therapist. She uh, quickly, uh, she was like, um, she asked about what I like to do in my free time. So I mentioned the podcast and then she was saying that she is also a fan of true crime. So, um, uh, <laughs> So she was like, I'll always take recommendations of new documentaries and stuff to watch. And I was like, oh, honey, oh, honey, I got you. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So there's that. But um, okay, Abby, let's crack into it. I'm going to take a 
into this. I'm gonna take a big sip of coffee prior. Should we we'll cheers? Do a little cheers. Beep. Boop. Cheers. Okay. Oh God. Yeah, that fruity pebbles is mm, mediocre. <laughs> you know what remind me at the end I'm gonna ask you how how it tastes now at the end of it and you're gonna be like Bleh. um okay so we have episode one devil in the city of angels so I have a lot of notes but we're gonna try to skim over it because your girl went a little too detailed <laughs> um when Abby was like oh Marissa like what time did you want to do this and I was like well it's taking me nearly two hours to do notes for one episode <laughs> yeah so um so we don't need to go through all of it um but we pretty much open up with a old public service announcement um from the LAPD homicide uh bureau and it kind of is the introductory of um the number uh, that there's an individual out there committing a number of murders, sexual assaults in the LA area. Um, he uses gloves, he enters homes. Uh, his weapons of choice includes guns, knives, tire irons, handcuffs, uh, ligatures, and thumb cuffs, which that immediately was like, what are thumb cuffs? So I did add that to the drive. We will get to it later. Um, but uh, I had to know what they looked like because you don't often hear that mentioned. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're pretty self-explanatory, but again, we'll get into it later. We have this almost like complete opposite opposing side of a narrative of like, they're talking about how this is their glory days. Like LA had just like the queen had visited the pope had visited they just had the olympics there right um this was like probably one of the proudest times to live in la um these were the glory days um i believe it was the district attorney um he was basically saying like la has all the benefits with none of the negatives which i'm like yeah. honey uh, really true. <laughs> yeah. and then they kind of break into revealing like there's actually kind of two sides to LA there's the um there's the the glory days sunny happy California surf sun and then there's uh this complete other side that is like you know uh satanic ritual and killing murder um serial mm -hmm. killer shit <laughs> yeah and I was saying like you know um they also said just because I thought it was funny they were like the freeways were clear. I was like, when? How? <laughs> no, like, I'll, I feel like mostly when we hear about LA, I've never been to LA, but um, everything that I've heard is just traffic mostly. It's like yeah. traffic sucks. Um, you're always stuck in traffic. Um, but I did love the cinematography choices, like where they have these like old movie reels of like the highlight reel and then these abrupt cuts of like, fire and body bags and manson yep. and so and literally they show um the hollywood sign the front side and they're like oh like you have this as um abby said like this cinematography like celebrities and all of this glitz and glam and then you get the other side of the hollywood sign where like you see the graffiti and there's like the ugly truth and the other side of it um and it attracted a dangerous you know group of people um so 
you know, they kind of decide to jump into it at that point after kind of quickly going over how um, the Hillside Strangler case like had just um, been uh, solved in yeah, recent years. They had with, just wrapped up the Hillside Strangler case, which was um, a scary serial killer situation for the area where um, it was two men who were cousins. murdering together, who were cousins, and they were murdering together. Mm -hmm. And um, that was kind of like, oh, this reign of terror that they were holding um, over the area. So then they were caught, and it feels like, oh, they're caught. It's going to be better now. However, it is not. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we kind of get introduced to um, our uh, one of our lead cops. Um, his name was Gil. His name is Gilbert Carrillo, um, and it kind of it gives a very detailed description on his history. How um, he's a Mexican American. Um, got into gang activity his parents signed him up for the army during Vietnam and I was like that seems a little intense but uh you know to each their own um I not know. a parent but uh so yeah and then um he had always wanted to um be a cop so he joined uh the LA police department and then he had this strong desire to become a homicide detective um, we do get Tony Valenz, uh, who's a news reporter, um, who kind of gives the sides of um, the LAPD was kind of like known as the Bulldogs because when they got latched on to a case, like they held on to it for dear life, um, even if it meant solving it 20 or so years later. Mm -hmm. So they were a hardworking police force known for known for cra really cracking down on cases and and focusing hard and I really want to talk about the pair like not the parallels but the the similarities and differences between um how they handled the Night Stalker versus how uh how the Yorkshire police handled the Ripper oh yeah oh yeah I saw those parallels exactly like you I was watching it being like wow you know LA like the LA police department over the years I think has definitely had its issues because I'm sure that Absolutely. we'll get into a whole bunch of other cases um going forward um that show the deeper ugly side but um they like were meticulous with their details of like yeah. trying to do their best to not fuck up probably to not fuck up because of the ripper I mean this was still <clears throat> This was what directly after the Ripper was caught, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, the like end half of it because yeah. uh, the Ripper had his reign in the seventies, and then he, I believe, was I, I think that his his trial I think was nineteen eighty five. I'd have to look yeah. back at my notes, um, but yeah. So you see that there's only a few years between these cases um but the way that they're handled and investigated is so completely different um and you know i think it, this could be the way that the documentary is framing it as well um uh you know you take you take that with a grain of salt kind of thing but <clears throat> uh i think that the the doc the LAPD, you know, those homicide detectives, it seemed like they were very 
devoted and dedicated. I can't necessarily speak to every the, the entire police force, but the two uh, homicide investigators that we see that that are prominent, prominently featured throughout seem very devoted and dedicated to their jobs and they work really hard. <laughs> oh yeah. So actually that's a perfect segue. So Gil, we, we just meet Gil. So then we meet the other half of the team. Um, mm-hmm. And Abby, you can totally jump into that if you'd like. Sure. So that is Frank Salerno, otherwise known as the Italian Stallion. They have a whole bunch of nicknames for them. I did find the their nicknames funny, so I did kind of include them throughout. Um. <laughs> so uh, let's see. He was he was uh, actually the detective that worked on the Hillside Strangler case and who solved the Hillside Strangler case. And they go on to describe later how um, at the time. Uh, Frank Salerno was the one who initially said, I think this is more than one person doing these killings, and he was not taken seriously. And then when it ended up being that there was two killers, that kind of got him a lot of, uh, uh, got him a big pat on the back for for figuring that out early. Mm -hmm. And um, so Salerno kind of notices he noticed Gil Carrillo right off, uh, right off the bat, and when he was still young and starting out in the force, and that was when he uh, invited him to dinner to uh, talk about joining the homicide unit um, and becoming a homicide detective. So it was very exciting for Gil because that was what he wanted. Um, mm-hmm. Which also was super cute because, like, so uh, I kind of at first wrote in my notes uh, Salerno and then um, Carrillo, but I then switched back over to Gil and Frank because they just start saying Gil and Frank throughout the entire thing. So, um, but Frank invites Gil to this Italian restaurant and Gil is a medical. Mexican American who had never eaten Italian food before and I was like oh my god that's so cute um just like the way that he describes the story of like laughing at like wearing a suit and like going and eating this Italian meal and stuff and having not recognized anything on the menu was just kind of it was kind of cute and funny and like kind of like including him in the gang almost um and he was only 35 yeah so he was still he was still pretty young at the time and and new to and and fairly new to the force right mm-hmm. because he had gone he didn't start working in the police force until after he was out of the army and then he went to college and then he joined the police force so he was yep. a little bit he was a little bit older than um than most when he started his uh police career but he was known for being a very uh like a good hardworking man um mm-hmm by his colleagues and coworkers, so that's why they decided to invite him to join the homicide unit because they saw that he was like really devoted dedicated and he worked really hard so yep and so we kind of then um we have this weird testimonial story and uh the first it's like labeled as day one so march 17th 1985 we kind of have a consistent count account up um throughout this um which I actually really liked um because it because it is a very um almost like bang 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 kind of uh case yes and that's the other thing is that to remember um that I didn't remember this and Anna looked it up that 
the span of Richard Ramirez's crimes took place in like in in the, the time span of about a year. So mm-hmm. this this that they're talking about in the fact that they number it by days just shows you how um, condensed condensed it was and and how how much he was able to how much he was able to kill and rape and torture and attack in such a short amount of time oh yeah they go by days and that kind of like brings it in for you of this like uh anticipation like no you have to solve this now that like really edge of your seat kind of thing yeah well we have the the yorkshire ripper to compare it to we have a five-year span yeah um so it's just it's very and that was really grappling to you know the entire country like this is i honestly had several moments where i was like if i lived in la i'd be like just go just move just go somewhere else um absolutely move away Um, but so we start out March 17th, 1985. We have Esther uh, Pechara. Um, she's in a, uh, in a Salvation Army store looking at, you know, thrifting <laughs> items, clothes. Um, and she picks up this baseball cap that has ACDC on it. She didn't know what it was, so she puts it back down. Um, this man comes over, looks at the hat, looks at her, smiles, and then buys the hat. Um, and she notices that he has like a devil tattooed on his hand with like a circle around it. Um, which also, like, she has the cutest heart-shaped glasses. I was like, this queen, she knows who she is. Just loved it. Um, anyways, I had to make that quickly in there. Um, she drives home on the freeway and suddenly that same man comes speeding up behind her he pulls up next to her creepily grins at her has missing teeth and she describes him as looking like a killer clown almost um because he's like happy smiling but like menacing at the same time that it's incredibly creepy yep Um, and so this it's that same day Mm -hmm. right that same night uh gil gil gets a call to come down uh to downtown la there's been a murder um and he goes and he sees the acdc cap um that was at the the entrance of the garage right right at the door um he also notices blood spatter um, and he walks in and he sees the victim, whose name is Dale Okazaki. She was 34 and she is lying dead on the kitchen floor with some groceries next to her. Yep. So like she was just coming in uh, mm-hmm. from buying groceries and he was waiting for her there with a gun in the kitchen. Yeah, um, uh, it was a little confusing the way that they kind of described the series of events. So. Yeah. Um, but my, my notes kind of, I thought it was one way until I got to the end of it. So, um, it looks like he was in the house waiting for her. Um, he ma- he makes a noise. She goes to like hide behind the counter. He waits for her to like kind of poke her head up. He shoots her in the head. She's dead. Um, and this is right after, um, the suspect has startled her roommate who is coming into the house as well the yes. roommate so, um, right that was the first person that he um, that was the first person that he had interacted with was was actually the roommate. Uh, Gail's 
Gail? Dale? Dale. Sorry. Gail. <laughs> Dale's roommate. <laughs> Um, was Dale's roommate whose name is Maria Hernandez and she was coming home that day and she was walking in through the garage and she heard a noise behind her she turns around then a man comes at her with a gun he's holding up a gun and she hold, puts her hands up over her face he shoots but she has a set of keys um, in her hand and the bullet bounces off of her keys and which I was like the probability of that yeah. holy crap mm-hmm. oh so then she takes off running down the street and that's when she hears another gunshot and she knows that her her roommate is home and so that's not a good sign for her roommate so what's thought is that her roommate must have heard what Dale must have heard what had happened in the garage and you know hid behind the counter Mm -hmm. um and then the killer entered the the house and waited for her to like look up to see if it was safe and then he shot her right in the head Mm -hmm. yep and so Maria had thought that he was going to walk back out through the garage door but instead Mm -hmm. he walks out through the front door where she is um because she had come back after hearing the noise and thought she, she had come back to try to help her roommate. Yep. Um, so he, she puts her hands up like, uh, well, you just shot me already. So why don't you just shoot me again kind of mentality. But he just like puts his gun down and walks away like calmly. Doesn't even run. Like he just walks cool as a cucumber. Um, so uh, Gil shows up. Uh, he starts walking through doing data collection. He's taking pictures of everything. Um, he ends up knowing Maria Hernandez's mother because he then realizes that this is his childhood neighbor's daughter. Um, and so this is something that's like already right off the bat, super close to home for him. And then day so two. It's personal right away. <laughs> oh, Yeah. Um, So day two, we got March 18th, 1985. Um, We find out that 40 minutes after the murder of Dale Akazaki, um, the Monterey Park. Monterey, thank you. Thank you. Yes. I I get mad every time I hear uh, my favorite murder say Massachusetts places wrong. So I really should be careful with with deflecting that um yes so monterey park pd <laughs> gets a call for a murder about a mile from uh, rosendale um a young asian girl is driving down the street she stopped yanked from the car and killed for no reason in the pictures of the scene you just see like this like single blue shoe that's like mm-hmm. sitting where clearly she had gotten torn from the car and then out in front of her car where she ends up getting shot and killed Um, is where the second um, shoe is. She is uh, Tasai Lian Yu. I think it's, I think the T is silent and it's like Tsai Lian Yu. Yep. Okay. Tsai Lian. We all know that I have problems speaking. Okay. So. um, um, (laughs) So yeah, she's been shot uh, in the chest. She was 30 years old. Uh, the last words that she said were help me um, and the gun cannot be assumed to be the same uh, the same gun as the other murder even though it's the same kind of gun it's a 22 but that's a very common 
type of gun. So they can't immediately link the two. Mm -hmm. Plus, like, honestly, you know, how likely is it that one person murders somebody, almost murders the second person, and within 40 minutes of running down the street is able to kill another person? Like, you know, like, there's a there's a part of everybody that hopes that somebody is not that evil Mm -hmm. um you know so uh anyways maria hernandez obviously sees the face of the killer um so they send over a sketch artist um the image the image is identical to another suspect drawing um involved in another case but i was like i wouldn't agree but i'm also not the detective (laughs) I wouldn't agree either. They don't look, those two sketches do not look that similar and they're both really bad. (laughs) They're not detailed, which I understand they're not detailed because the people didn't know as many details, but they're not like, they're, they're very rough sketches. Yeah. It's like if Abby and I drew a picture of a suspect. Like they show them, they show them side by side and they're like, oh, these look so much like, and, and I was looking at that. I was like, they don't, they're both really bad drawings. They're just both really bad drawings of men's faces. But yeah, so the uh, other sketch that uh, Maria Hernandez's sketch looks similar to is a suspect sketch from an attempted kidnapping in Poco Rivera. Yep. Um. And that was the attempted kidnapping of a, a young, was that a child was attempted kidnapping? Or? Uh, no, I believe that it was. Um, it was a younger, it was like a young woman, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a young woman. Um, and suddenly we have uh, Gil say that he starts to kind of see this connection from his psychology class that he had taken when he was in college was that um, there's, you know, the deviance. There's the deviancy where people get sexually aroused by um, sexually aroused by fear, um, and he's like, you can kind of see that this person is getting off on the fear because he made sure that the victims could see that he could see their faces. He waited for, you know, Dale to pop her head back up so he could see the fear in her face. He purposely yeah. smacked the uh the car to get maria's attention um for her to be frightened if he really just wanted to kill to kill he could have just silently shot maria um yeah and then so and then ripping out um uh what's her name oh my god i feel so bad i'm really bad with names Sai on you yes uh, yeah ripping her out from the car he could have just killed her when she was in the car but instead he chose to take her out of the car which is like something that might scare her to think she's being kidnapped or uh taken somewhere else you know that's that's going to create more fear for her mm-hmm. um so that's going to create a, a more look of fear on her face um <clears throat> so gil immediately begins to suspect that all of these uh, cases are related and that this is the same person we do hear this like but, this audio part from the night stalker which isn't like actually his voice but he says yeah. that he's basically walking death which mm-hmm. i mean i that's definitely how it seems um yeah yeah so we get march 27th 1985 this is day 10 uh, so already these are super close to each other um but this is the double murder the double murder in uh, Whittier County um, of 
Vincent, he's 64, and Maxine Zazara, um, 44. Um, they can see that he slipped in through the window, stepped on a five gallon can, um, stole about $40,000 worth of jewelry. Vincent is killed sleeping on the couch. Hold on. What's up? You didn't hear that honking? I heard only one part of that honking. It was really loud. I could hear the headphones, so I was like, hold on, because it's going on right, side of, right outside the window. Oh, Damn it. Well, that's what happens when you live in New York City, I guess. Yes. I'm walking here. Somebody's really mad, so they're just... Could you not, sir? <laughs> oh my god, Abby... <laughs> Stick your head out the window and be like, yo, we're trying to film a podcast. Shut the fuck up. I'm trying to report, record a podcast. <laughs> <clears throat> Anywho. So um, this double murder. <gasps> now it's two horns. Okay. So I'm just going to keep going through it. <laughs> this double murder that happens. Um, he had, oh my God, he had come into the house and Vincent the husband was asleep on the couch he killed him by shooting him once in the side of the head so it was a very in the temple so it was a very simple quick easy kill then he moved on to uh the wife and that is where he got into the so bad that is where he got into the uh the real uh Violent. violent evil torturous uh part where he had not only he, he didn't he didn't just he shot her as well right but he but she had also been stabbed multiple times she had been sexually assaulted and her eyes had been cut out of her head he cut out her eyes why literally i was so i was like oh my god you you mm, well, they say, like, at one point, they say, oh, well, because she saw him. Uh, maybe because she saw him or something. But, but my, my thought was, if he really enjoys the look of fear on a person's face, like they're saying before, my thought would be, like, that it's a trophy. But, like, the fear in her eyes is the trophy kind of thing, you know? I mean, you're the one who's watched all of the Criminal Minds episodes. You would know better. <laughs> That's right. I've watched Criminal Minds, therefore I am an expert. Yes. Um, no, I feel like I feel like that would be like it's a trophy, like the, yeah. the fear that he caused, the fear that he created. You know, he's taking her eyes as like a taking that fear with him, giving himself power in a way. I don't know. Yeah. No, That's I mean it's de- it's definitely like not a reach. Like I definitely think that you're you're onto something. I just there's something about all I'm envisioning now is the screenshot uh, that I sent to you and Aaron of my eyes looking like they're gonna pop out of my head from the last episode so (laughs) I just I think I have this fear of my eyes being removed from my head now um anyways yeah it's such a creepy detail um one of the things that he had left behind at the scene was a shoe print um and it was they could tell from the size of the shoe print that it was a size 11 to 12 shoe Mm-hmm. And then we get this like quick interlude, like transition of a hotel. And I was like, Abby, guess which hotel it is? What hotel is it? Is it the, the Cecil? Yeah, it is. Nice. 
Um, Abby and I are fascinated with the Cecil as every true crime person is, but we'll get into that later. Yes. But they haven't hadn't lab- they hadn't said it in the episode, but I was like, who? Um, so uh, also because we're very interested and waiting for the Lisa Lamb documentary to come out. So we're yes. very excited for that. So prep yourself for the Cecil to be mentioned a lot. Um, anyways, and then uh, it looks like there's heroin um, materials. Mm-hmm. We hear from this woman, Anastasia Hornus. And oh my God, my heart literally shattered into a million pieces. So this is a really intense part. And I think we shouldn't go too too graphic into it um, because this is, she was only six years old at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and she's telling this story as an adult, which I mean, like amazing props to her for um, being able to recount uh, this story that's very yeah. brave of her she, to, to agree to do this yeah she goes into some details with some stuff but obviously like there's things that she's not going to touch upon yeah um but so basically she says that you know she remembers waking up in the middle of the night um at the age of six she's basically uh carried out the window um she thought that there was something like familiar about this person so she wasn't afraid she thought it was like a family member which Mm -hmm. is the reason why she wasn't screaming um or any of those things or scared at that moment in time because I mean how many when you're that age how many times are like do you fall asleep on a couch or in the car and your parents just pick you up um, carry you to bed yeah yeah so it's it's not something like completely out of you know left field like it had never been she'd never been carried before so but um so pretty much she's driving in the car with him um and he makes her look in the glove box and there's a gun in the glove box to kind of threaten her um things happen um within the car but they end up at their destination where there's a chain linked fence and dogs so she remembers hearing the dogs barking he makes her crawl into a duffel bag which he zips up so that no one sees that he has this child which mm-hmm. really I think drives home how small she is yeah because um, I was like oh my god um so little yeah yeah and um he's got this non-stop playing um stereo playing Madonna which I was like mm-hmm. if I had to I was just thinking about like there's a particular song that I hate and Abby always laughs at me because I hate the song Africa by Toto. And uh, that is a very popular song for some reason nowadays where it just plays at least like once a week, I feel like. <laughs> um, and I'm like, every time I hear it, it drives me crazy. So I could not imagine songs like like A Virgin or Holiday like triggering, triggering. those those memories and stuff so I was just like oh my god my heart um yeah so he he takes her for uh I don't know how long he has her for a while it must have been for hours yeah he he uh you know sexually assaults and abuses her um just for hours on end and it's really it's really sad she says that at some point like the look in his eyes is is like as if he feels almost bad that he's doing this but he doesn't really feel bad so he doesn't 
stop doing it. Um, so, but there's some kind of like something in his eyes that she perceives as him feeling sorry that he's doing it. Um, but after after he's done with her, he uh, instructs her to get back into the duffel bag. He brings her back to his car. He brings her to a gas station and he lets her out. He tells her to go inside the gas station and tells uh, whoever's working in there to call 911 and that her family will come get her. And he leaves, just leaves her like that. Mm-hmm. Um, which, what a nightmarish thing to be a parent and to be sleeping in the middle of the night and to get a call that your child is found at a gas station telling somebody to call 911. Um, just so horrific yeah and And especially to like later on know like when we what happened but also like just time and time again as we go through there's so many people that we do talk to who come into like where they they could have been a victim but they weren't a victim they were so close to death it's like terrifying to think of or they were a victim but he didn't kill them Yep. You know, um, and to think that that he was fully capable of killing people, um, and somehow these people were left alive, um, it must be so. I can't imagine what that feels like. Like Mm-mm. I feel like it must feel like you're living with a borrowed life. Yes. Kind of. Like you you were literally in the face of death, and, yeah. and now you're living in a borrowed life, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. <sighs> The, there are multiple child abductions and assaults around this time. And Gil, you know, the, Gil kind of goes into it by saying, you know, this is, those are two different departments, homicide and child uh, abduction cases. Those are two completely different uh, departments of the police station. So he's not really focusing on that. He's trying to focus on Maria Hernandez and that murder. Um, but the description that the children keep giving of this man is very similar to the description that he has for, um, his murder suspect. So now he starts to believe that, you know what, this might be the same person. And he kind of starts to, uh, bring that up with people. He starts to bring it up with Frank. Frank is like, well, maybe, but this that's so unheard of. Um, somebody who goes completely outside of age, gender, race, um, socioeconomic status uh, for their for their victim pool, that is just really unheard of. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and I you think, go on. I think that it's um, something that people were really scared of you know so but yeah frank says like it's possible yes but probable no yeah exactly um so then we go to april 10th 1985 which is day 24 yep and so um we're meeting la agencies to they're all meeting to exchange the information specifically about the abducted kids Gail comes, um, and this is kind of when he shares his idea that maybe this is the same person who's doing mm-hmm. homicides and then also children um, abductions. Um, they all of the old timey guys, as they describe them in it, uh, laugh at him and say that no one could imagine someone doing something so brutal, but then also 
doing things to children and then letting them go like physic somewhat physically unharmed um yeah those seem like two completely those seem unrelated those seem like two completely different people you mm -hmm. know somebody that that brutally rapes and murders women and somebody that brutally abuses children but allows them to live drops them off at the gas drops them off in a in a fairly safe area tells them to go find an adult and call 911 like mm -hmm. that's not that doesn't sound like the same person no um so linda arthur who's a crime scene technician um she's friends with gill and she comes up a couple more times um but she believes him um she encourages him to keep moving forward with it um, so Gil starts to work out of the East LA office. Um, one of the deputies says that this girl, um, this girl calls to report a man following her and this is the license plate number. Um, mm -hmm. He fits the description. He's got, uh, he's tall, um, long, dark hair, light skinned Mexican. Um, so Gil sends people to follow him. Um, this guy is like, basically if he loses one one woman he starts following another woman um mm -hmm. so he pulls a traffic violation um and the cop pulls him over and is like what what the fuck are you doing pretty much um and uh it's determined that this guy is a freak but he's not the freak that they're looking for is what they say mm -hmm. um they uh he has like a response for everything throughout questioning they get a warrant to go check out his apartment. Now, this is not, this is not the Night Stalker. This is yeah. his name is Arturo Robles. Arturo Arturo Robles. So his name's Arturo Robles. And okay, all of the Spanish-sounding names or any names that are not very basic uh, will be said by Abby, even if I'm in the middle okay. of a sentence. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. So. Uh, they show um, his picture in like a, a group of pictures to Maria Hernandez. She points him out, says that could be him. But then when put in a lineup, they bring in Maria Hernandez as well as some other, um, some of the kids that had described, you know, they, they bring in some other witnesses and uh, nobody's able to point him out. So they're like, he's definitely a sexual deviant, mm -hmm. but he's not, he's not the guy we're looking for. Yeah, which I have um, a lot of questions related to him because there's just so, so much, um, like the lady's underwear with a slice in the crotch. Um, yeah. And yeah. men wonder why women are scared of men. Um, anyways, <laughs> uh, we got May 14th, 1985, day 58. We have Linda Arthur back. She gets called to the home of William Doy, um, 66, and Lillian Doy. Uh, William was killed, um, and then uh, his wife Lillian was raped and robbed. But William saved Lillian's life by calling 911 before he died, which also, again, breaks my fucking heart because mm -hmm. I just imagined um, Lillian had been wearing uh, thumb cuffs and was badly beaten. She also uh, ripped her thumb off. Um, from trying to free herself from the thumb cuffs, which yes. uh, if you want, if you don't know what they look like, you can check out the drive. Um, they look like little tiny handcuffs, handcuffs on just on your thumbs, which and I'm like, who did that? 
Well, the idea, they're also kind of spiky in the middle. So I think they put like pressure and, and it's on, it's painful on them. So if you try to take your hands apart, you can't, you, you can't because it's really painful. So it's to keep your hands together. It's a way of keeping your hands together. Yeah. Um, but I was, I was just imagining. Like oh yeah. But I was like, imagine how much pain she had to be in that like, that was the easier option. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, but anyways, so um, uh, Frank says that he, him being in the police department and in homicide for 18 years, he, this was the only case he ever saw with thumb cuffs being used because that's just how weird this is. Yeah. Um, Frank had no evidence. Um, and uh, Frank and Gil get a piece of evidence linking their cases, which happens to be the footprint because they have different partners at this time. They know each other, they're in the same department, but they have different cases. Um, so when the same footprint is found outside um, an eight-year-old's house during an abduction, they suddenly have this connection between them all. Um, and she, so the, the girl had been taken to a construction site and which I always find these like weird, tiny little coincidences that happen. They had just poured concrete that same day. So when the killer stepped into it, they had a perfect like footprint um, and it matched to the Zazara murders. Um, so uh, the LAPD said that it wasn't linked due to the size difference because they were saying it was a size 10. And Gil calls them up and is like, okay, how did you measure it? Because I'm looking at a ruler mm-hmm. with this footprint and it is clearly a 12. And yeah. the officer, which I was like, this is when it kind of went into the whole Yorkshire thing of like, yeah. they didn't, like this guy literally says, you're absolutely right. I didn't do my job right because he is a size 10. So he put his foot over the other foot um, print. Sorry, I believe my parents are home. Um, and was like, oh, well my foot covers this foot. So the shoe print, so clearly it's a 10, um, which obviously as we know is not. We're just having a real rough time today. Yeah, background noise is not our friend today. So, <laughs> puppies. So, one um, second. Where were we? Oh, um, so, um, so they made this mistake. They now have the ability to link these cases together. Um, we have Tony Valenz who comes back. He's the news reporter. And he says that Frank was known as like too cool Cinderella. Sor- and Gil was known as you say it. Uh, El Cucuy, which is the boogeyman. Um, which I was like, that's a cool like team up pairing. Um, but yeah, so they end up teaming up because both their partners leave or retire um, so, uh, they decide, um, to, you know, work on stuff together. So we, right. so then we, then we cut into, um, we skip ahead quite a bit. 
Yes. Now we're at number three. Um, so then a little while in between. Um, and we have Patty Elaine Higgins, who is 32 years old. She was killed in Arcadia, suburb of LA. And she had had her throat cut and then stabbed. And then she was stabbed. Um, four days later, day 107, July 2nd. Arcadia PD calls again, saying there was another murder, a 75-year-old woman named Mary Cannon, and she lived only a few miles from the last victim, Patty Higgins, and she uh, had similar injuries. Her throat had also been cut. Uh, So July 5th, 1985, day 110, Sierra Mondre PD calls um, a gardener's glove had been worn by the assailant um, and we can see that there are no fingerprints left at any of these scenes Um, Mm -hmm. this we never get the name of the person but they were a minor at the time they were 16 years old beaten with a tire iron um, skull fractures with 42 lacerations Um, while she was asleep in her parents house she doesn't remember the attack Um, but we do see that there is a shoe print in blood found on the victim's comforter Um, and they, you can tell kind of based on these like unique treads on the bottom of the shoe that this very perfectly matches up with all the other shoes that they've, they showed us. Um, so we see that this person is clearly a serial killer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they know, rape. yes, and that we know that they are the exact same person. Um, mm-hmm. So this is when everyone starts to believe Gil when Frank kind of issue is, um, that he agrees with Gil. And so that is the end of episode one. So we're going to quickly yes. jump into episode two. Okay. All right. So now we are going back in time. They're giving us a little bit of a background, a little more background on Frank. Um, so it's 1977. Frank is talking about a 20 year old woman who was found nude from a possible overdose on the side of a hill and she was found by two paper boys but uh when uh investigators saw her body she had ligature marks around her wrists ankles and neck she clearly had been strangled and tied up murdered and this is how the hillside strangler uh came to get the name um and they realized that the hillside strangler was either um, posing as a cop or was a cop because victims were going along willingly with this person. Um, uh, and then it turned out, and that was that was Frank's um, theory, right? Was that it was mm-hmm. a cop. And uh, then it turned out that one of the killers, one of the cousins, had been a security guard. So he was correct on that. He was also correct that there was two killers, not one. Um, and so this was uh, how Frank got his reputation for being uh, trustworthy and a really good investigator in um, of homicides. And... So you see that he's worked on these high prof- this high-profile case previously. Now he's working on this new high-profile case, The Night Stalker, which I don't think he had that name yet. No, um, he didn't. Um, yeah. But that's kind of when it transitions to, like, the opening credits, and it's like, Night Stalker. Yeah. So that's why I put that in. But, um, yeah, Frank's, like, you know, there only there's a few of these cases that are, like, once-in-a-lifetime cases, and suddenly this, there's the second one that he's now thrown into. Um 
So we see the summer 1985, we go back to the, the present and the story that we're telling. Mm-hmm. Um, they're hunting a man um, and uh, it, it's difficult to kind of put the pieces together. Um, so they see that he's killing with various different means. He's using guns, knives, manual, strangulation, ligatures. Um, he's going after everybody. There's no pattern. He's just killing uh, and hunting people down and no one is safe. Um, and that's honestly something that previously had been unheard of, of changing up MOs. Um, yeah. And going back and forth between, like, he, it wasn't like he started out doing, you know, sometimes uh, uh, serial killers will start out with rape and, and escalate to murder. Mm-hmm. You know? um, but this was a complete back and forth. He was murdering somebody one day and and raping somebody the next day and leaving them alive uh it was uh very back and forth and he was using any kind of weapon he he used guns he used knives he used wires in the house he used tape he used uh like electrical tape he used like all kinds of stuff Mm -hmm. nothing um there was no mo there was no victim pool that they could look at um and the only thing that they had the only thing that that literally was the common thread that was able to connect these cases was the shoe print Mm -hmm, because other otherwise these would have just all been like separate cases forever Mm -hmm. um and you know unlike the yorkshire ripper like the there were no commonalities like it wasn't like a particular group of people it wasn't a group of uh, like a specific sex of women or like you know the the son of sam where it's like a certain hairstyle or you know um it there's literally this person's killing for chaos yeah exactly um so then we go to day 111 july 6th 1985 we have uh we are in a narrative from lorraine rodriguez she is talking about how she woke up in the middle of the night to a loud noise. She was sleeping on the couch or she was sleeping somewhere else from her No, husband? she she was in the bed. She thought oh, her okay. husband was coming in. The kids were home and Okay. Um but yeah, she suddenly has this immense amount of fear because I think that she realized that it wasn't John. Um Yeah, she realized her hu- it wasn't her husband, but the noise that she originally had heard, she thought it was her husband, but she had heard the wind she had heard the sound of a window opening. Mm-hmm. and then a loud noise um she wakes up her husband he goes around the house with um he's he works for the lapd I believe, yes right mm-hmm. and he goes around um the house with his gun and a flashlight and he's looking he doesn't see um he doesn't see anything at first and then they go into one of the rooms and they see that the window is wide open this window that was painted shut so they knew that it wouldn't have been anybody in the house because they had never opened that window it was completely painted shut uh and so he took his flashlight looked out the window and right on the ground in the soil they had just watered their um their garden that day right on the ground in the soil was another perfect shoe print um and they say it was like it was what should she said the wife says it was like the ground was perfectly saturated so it was like the perfect amount of mud of for him to step in and leave an exact shoe print mm-hmm. um and this is kind of when um 
you know, they're like, oh my God, like this, we were so close. Like you have no idea how, how close you were to such a brutal murder. Um, And this is when we kind of start to look into that specific shoe, which blew my mind. This was so crazy and like nowadays like because of our like um records and tracking and all that like we would have like found him no time um because the shoe is uh it's called an avia shoe which is a super uncommon shoe clearly because i don't i don't think i've ever heard of the shoe um i wonder if that brand is still around i'm gonna look it up okay um so it had just started been manufactured they were able to see based on the tread from talking to the CEO of the company that this was an aerobic style shoe. It wasn't a basketball or running or any of those shoes. Um, and it was an 11 and a half size. So they were right. It was between an 11 and a 12. Um, sales data actually showed that there had only been 1,356 pairs of this model, which was the 440 Avias shoes in the entire U.S. had been distributed to them. Six of these, they, they thought it was black. Um, yes, they thought, and, they thought it was a black shoe based on descriptions from previous victims. Mm-hmm. So uh, they were able to narrow it down. Well, how many black shoes, how many pairs of black shoes had been made? And in this, in, this size, in, this yeah, size. in this size. So five had gone to Arizona. One pair had gone to L.A. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yo. So he has the only pair. pair that was sold in LA of these black shoes in this size. Not even um, that, in California. Yeah, in California. And so this is now, uh, now it feels like they're narrowing in on him and they're so close, but they can't get any further than that. They mm-hmm. can't. So I was wondering, I was thinking about that, like why couldn't they? And I was wondering if maybe it's like they don't know um, which store it went to necessarily no. I don't know like I don't know how they wouldn't know that like I mean uh, be... I mean if he, he could have paid in cash maybe yeah. they don't take your name down but but wouldn't they have like some record of the transaction like they would know what store that the shoes were were sold yeah. from, but maybe right? that but maybe that shoe store didn't have uh didn't have cameras um maybe it wasn't a special order maybe it just so happened that that one pair happened to be at that one place like there's so many what ifs but that's kind of where this like road um this this pathway though it's so close and yet so far away um but they know that if they if they find somebody with this shoe that it's him yeah um so what did what did you find for the shoe (laughs) Do, do the does the shoe company still exist oh the shoe company does still uh exist they were founded in 1979 um in oregon and they do they do still exist they do still make shoes and they it says they were popular in the late 1980s and early 1990s um they had some popular basketball shoes but when it says um you know notable celebrities who wore those shoes it includes richard ramirez in the oh list. good oh good Yep. So I don't know if that's like, uh, something that you want uh, tied to your company, but this sure. is the, well, this is the Wikipedia page, but it just says uh, among those who wore a, uh, a via were Scotty Pippen, John Stockton, John Sally, AC Green, Clyde Dexter, and the serial killer Richard Ramirez. Like oh, it's good. <laughs> just casual. Very just casual. casual. 
Um, so May 29th, 1985. I don't know why we keep saying the year because it, we know it's all the same year. Um, so day 73 um, in Monrovia, uh, there's two 80-year-old... So, sorry, sorry. So to, to go, like, this is... They're going back a little bit from where they had been. In oh, the yes. Yes, I'm sorry. So, so they were looking at unsolved cases um, to see if they could find any any ties or connections. To... Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, because so, they, they had the shoe. So they're like, okay, like, let's look at any other un, unsolved murders. And so, yes, this one is then suddenly included. Um, of the two 80-year-old sisters, they live together. They're brutally beaten and attacked. Um, the sisters were found two days later by a gardener. Um, so Mabel Bell died at 83 and Florence Lang, which she was in critical condition. Um, and Mabel Bell had been taped to the bed, sexually assaulted and beaten with a hammer. And Florence was barely alive. Mm -hmm. Um, they had noticed that, um, he had ripped out the alarm clock from the wall by stepping on the alarm clock and yanking out the cord so they yeah, had a partial he match to, he, he was trying to use the cord as a ligature right so he mm -hmm. put it on the so he had the alarm clock on the floor stepped on the alarm clock and pulled and so that they had just like a corner of a shoe print mm -hmm. that just so happened the pattern was an exact match for the pattern of those so, of yeah so they were able to um connect that um he also weirdly this, this, is, this is very yes yeah this is Sorry. when we start to realize that um he gets super comfortable in each of these houses kind kind of like um the golden state killer where he like makes himself a snack mm -hmm. like he's confident that no one's going to come in so like yeah. they can see that he like you know, is walking around eating like a sandwich or uh, at one point they have a honeydew melon that he just like is eating out of. And uh, um, he put a pentagram on a wall in lipstick um, and then on one of them on to the victim. So um, they didn't know if what he meant by this of like, was he trying to be a copycat of Manson um, or was he actually trying to say that he believed in Satan? Um, yeah. which then we have the the quote from him saying that satan is a stabilizing force in my life which yeah, i was like and, yeah and also knowing richard ramirez and knowing <laughs> like knowing who richard ramirez was and how fucked up of a human being he was mm -hmm. um and how ill he was um <laughs> uh this is where you first start to get a glimpse of that i feel because mm -hmm. you know you have these these um random these completely random killings that are so brutal and violent and then you start and then you start to see the uh and, and then you see the the pentagram in in the in the mix and you're like what is going on with this individual like i feel like that that was like a clear sign that like this person is is mentally unstable this person is clearly like using either they're trying to make people think they're mentally unstable or they are mentally unstable and they're trying to use satan and satanism as a way of uh justifying their killings i feel yeah. like i feel like that was like the start of the sign of that um uh for for him specifically 
because I yeah. was going to say son of, son of Sam Manson and even the Yorkshire Ripper all and other serial killers all like to either purposely because they believe in it or yeah. they like to connect that well I want people to believe that I'm insane and that they're scared of satanic panic um, mm-hmm. during this this period of our lives um, that why don't I drum up more of this like Satan fearing, especially because America is very, um, especially, you know, down South comparative to the rest of the world, we're very religious and like, you know, the Bible belt. And then you have LA, which is a, um, a large Mexican population Mm -hmm. and Catholicism is very, is a a very common religion um, for Mm -hmm. Mexicans and Mexican Americans. Um, So you have that, uh, you have that uh fear embedded embedded fear yeah you have that embedded fear of sin and satan and evil and kind of also makes him a little bit less like it makes him a little bit more inhuman if that makes sense yes like like, more of a monster than a human being yeah kind Um, of like the boogie almost like the boogeyman even though so then we have uh so we have uh, in Eagle Rock, we have a woman who has attempted to be kidnapped. Uh, she ends up fighting off the suspect. Um, and through this, uh, this random case, um, he, the suspect is driving in a Toyota. Um, he cr- uh, has a traffic violation. Um, an officer sees him, pulls him over. He's talking to him, has him on the hood of the car. Um, and he went to go get his little notepad um, to uh, give a citation. Um, the suspect hears over the radio of the APB for attempted kidnapping and description of the car, which happens to be the car that, you know, he's there. Um, so the, the suspect puts a pentagram in the hood of a car, and the hood of the car, like, quickly draws it out. Like he draws it with his finger. Yep, and then um, he runs off. Um, they realize that the car is stolen, and Frank and Gil are stonewalled by um, the jurisdiction. I spelled that wrong. Um, from getting prints on the car, and it kind of this is when they go into it of like, kind of like the Yorkshire Ripper in that case of like different jurisdictions. They're basically having like a pissing contest of like who's better than who, who's big, whose dick is bigger than whose. Um, and so they're very unlikely to share, um, share that stuff, even though it's critical information um, mm-hmm. in this case. Yes. So then we cut to July 7th, 1985. This is day 112. Uh, Gil wakes up in the middle of the night in a panic, sweating, thinks that the killer might be in his house. Um, he's through the house with his gun, trying to, you know, he clears the house, makes sure that nobody's there, and then uh, sits down to watch a movie to try and like calm himself down. And that's when his phone rings, and it is Linda. Lin, Lin, Linda, Jesus Christ, what just happened to me? Um, Linda. The coffee is hitting you. <laughs> I guess so. His uh, one of his friends from the the force who uh, calls and tells him that her next door neighbor was just raped. 
and she thinks it's the same guy that he's that Gil is looking for. So Linda tells then tells the story of she was having friends over that night, um, and they went to bed really late. And then right after they had gone to bed, uh, one of her friends comes in and wakes her up, says someone's calling you, and she's like, no, I, the phone's right next to me, nobody's calling me. And then she says, no, somebody's outside calling your name. So Linda goes outside. She. Uh, she climbs up she has like a brick wall separating her and her neighbor she climbs up the wall she looks over the wall and she can uh she can hear her neighbor calling her name and so she she calls her and says are you okay what happened and she said i was just raped and robbed and i'm tied to my bed i'm handcuffed to my bed and um he crawled through the cat door how small do you have to be to crawl through the cat door yeah, so he is, he was like a very skinny dude. Um, and he had ripped the cat door uh, off the door and, and then crawled through that and got in. Um, and it is just so upsetting to think about. Um, <clears throat> and also Linda talks about how scary it was that there's only, you know, that wall separating her from um, this serial killer, so serial rapist, mm-hmm. uh, and how close now now it's close to home for her as well um she's terrified (laughs) (laughs) um gil basically kind of comes in and says like he's not sleeping he's not functioning due to exhaustion like they they have this interaction between him and his wife um where he's like wake me up in an hour because I have to meet Frank um, and if you don't I'll have the office call and while he's taking off his shoes to take an hour-long nap um, he gets paged mm-hmm. and so it just really shows that like you know this is 112 days of him just non-stop like trying to track this person down and this person like I keep thinking like okay the the detectives who are in charge of this case are run ragged but like this is a lot of energy and rage and anger and destruction that somebody is just fueled on. So like, I mean, we later find out that like he's on drugs, but I'm like, clearly he has to be on something to be able to have the energy to do these vicious, violent attacks so frequently. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's kind of just, it's just crazy. But um, this is when we get, uh, we go back to Monterey park. Um, Joyce Nelson, she's 60 years old is murdered. Um, we hear from Joyce's family, which honestly just like was so hard to hear. Um, yeah. She had this like weird belief that like she was going to be a rape victim or sexually assaulted at some point in time. Um, uh, she f- did whatever she could to fight um, the suspect off. Um, he ended up stomping her head, leaving a footprint. Um, she refused to be raped and their belief is that um, he was not sexually satisfied by the murder of uh, Joyce Nelson so he then went um, and found uh, Sophie Dickman who had been the neighbor of Linda uh, Arthur uh, and the footprints did in fact match Um, so this is five cases in the span of 10 days which is why I'm saying like this is so much in such a short period of time and this is really when the media jumps on to um to to this case in general right after um the murder of nelson um so that is when they create a task force and as we recall from uh 
this is where we start to see the parallels between Yorkshire Ripper. Was they created ta task force? They said there was about two hundred police officers working on that task force, mm -hmm. and they and again they had a hotline you could call in and give tips, and they were looking into every clue, uh, every tip that they got, no matter what. Mm -hmm. um, which still, like I said, once again, we have people calling in reporting their ex-husbands and exes. And I'm like, guys, come on. Not not cool. Um, but th they were like, nothing can be missed. So that like when they say task force, they meant like they put small groups together and they were like, okay, you are going to do specifically all the calls that are related to, you know, certain types of cars. And you're going to be yeah. like, they were... Like, we do not have the ability to fuck this up. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, um, you know, they did not overlook a single thing. Every single call was looked into no matter what. Like, um, Gil tells this, I think it's Gil telling this story that there was a call that came in where he's like, where somebody said, oh, this person matches the description perfectly. The only problem is that this is a, a little person, a person with dwarfism. And that's not the word he uses. He oh. uses an offensive word, but we're not going to say it. And... Um, and, you know, so clearly it's not this, you know, supposedly lanky, tall man wearing an, a size 11 to 12 shoe, but they still have to look into it because somebody called and said. So they're trying to be as thorough as they can, um, and they're trying to take a look into everything, but they're getting so many different calls that it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's leading, it's, it, again, like, is this going to be helpful or is this going to lead them in the wrong direction? Yep. Um, and so we then have July 8th, 1985, uh, day 113. And we get introduced to Lo uh, Laurel Erickson, who I like, I kind of through this recognized my like instinctive bias. Cause I was like, my immediate thing was like, Laurel, why are you being such a bitch? But I'm like, <laughs> but I, I also recognize that I'm like, okay, like if a man was doing this, I wouldn't probably, like, I'd probably say he was a dick too. But, um, but there's a part of me where I'm like annoyed because she's like, she finds out that they're looking for the specific type of shoe. Mm -hmm. And so she does this bargaining chip where she's like, either I report this story and your killer changes his shoes because he's this is his only pair of shoes that he's wearing um mm -hmm. as you hear the sirens going off behind abby um <laughs> no you're good um and so uh so she's like either i tell the story or you give me an exclusive interview um yeah. with the the head investigators frank and gill um mm -hmm. like when i want it um and Laurel shows up a whole bunch um, from this point on, pretty much. Um, so she gets an exclusive interview. Um, and this is really continuing on to the like added pressure that that they that colleagues have for them, that bosses have for them, for the the their families, the the victims, the victims' uh, families, so on and so forth, as well as themselves. And um, mm -hmm. they're they're not doing well on coping. Um, you know, Frank's kind of like, oh, like I have this wall that I've kind of just like formed um, where I just, I put it up and I don't talk about it at work or whatnot. And Gil is mm -hmm. struggling. Um, so he, he's, a lot of them are like that they went to bars to debrief and to help cope. Um, and so we have that added to it. 
Um, and then we've got July 9th, day 114. Yes, so um, uh, finally, this is when Gil and uh, Frank are finally given access to the car. And this is the car that uh, the suspect uh, had attempted to kidnap someone, then they found out it was a stolen car, and he drew a pentagram and then ran away. Um, the LAP, the LA County police were the ones that had it, and they would not, you know, they, they were trying to push them to um, share information if they took, if they tried to take prints from the car, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, finally, they give in, and they say, okay, you can go look at the car. The car is still in an impound lot being held. Um, it had not been fingerprinted. It had not been really, like, swept for evidence at all. And they found out that the car was being kept in the sun. So any uh, fingerprint evidence would have been gone. Yeah, especially because um, we've been listening to the episodes and the little clips that we do get from like the news. They're saying like, this is like one of the hottest summers. Like they, they have like 117 degree Fahrenheit um, days. So of course, yeah. everything is pretty much up in smoke. Yeah. So, uh then you they find this is when they find and this is really interesting um in the uh, floor of the passenger seat in the car they find a business card the business card is for a dentist in chinatown they go to the dentist uh that dentist's office and they ask uh they ask for information he gives them the information for that patient which i'm pretty sure not legal but i don't know um even if he's a murder suspect i feel like not legal to mm. give out the information anyway um because under HIPAA, I, I believe yeah, you, can it's only HIPAA. you can only give out that information if there's like a warrant or the person is dead. So I don't know how they got that information from the dentist. That dentist was naughty. But <laughs> <laughs> so the dentist gives them that information. It was a, um, the man had written his name down as Richard Mena. Um, he had given some fake address. Um, he had come in for some, some, pain in his teeth they had taken x-rays um they also gave copies of x-rays to the uh to gil the, the investigator gil took the x-rays to a dentist friend of his um <clears throat> and said look can you look at these teeth and tell me anything anything you see and the dentist friend said well i can tell you he's gonna be back because he has an impacted tooth and that has and that's gonna be incredibly painful he's in a lot of pain so he's gonna go back to that dentist's office mm -hmm. so then they set up two undercover officers and they specify that they <laughs> choose they were asian, asian. <laughs> which i guess is because the dentist office is in chinatown but if this like light-skinned hispanic man is going why does it matter that they have to have yeah. two Asian officers anyway I, I also thought that too but I don't know if maybe it's like I don't know if they thought that it would it would blend in better I don't know <laughs> yeah I don't know it's it's a little iffy when they explain that um <clears throat> a little problematic but oh well <laughs> so they set up these officers undercover and they sent them to go and sit in this dentist's office every day all day long and wait for Richard whoever that is, to come back. And that's the ep end of episode two. Um, yes. So, but, woo, buddy. <laughs> it is just crazy. Um, uh, 
It's absolutely wild. So what are your thoughts so far? Do you like it? Do you not like it? What do you think? Um, I like it. Um, my actually my parents um have already seen this. So when I was talking to them last week, um, while we were finishing up the Ripper, um, mm-hmm. they were like, Oh my god, you have to do the Night Stalker next. And I was like, We are, we are, we are, don't worry. Um, and then throughout watching this, um, my sister had also watched it with them and she had walked in and she was like, yo, wait until you see what he looks like. And I was like, Lauren, I'm in true crime. Like everybody knows. Everybody, everybody knows, knows what, Richard what like. yeah, what he looks like. Everybody knows like that it's a recognizable face because he just looks like. Terrifying. He, he looks almost unhuman, like, especially with like yeah. the, the, the lack of teeth and the smile and just, uh, once you see it, you can't it unsee skeletal, it. Like how skinny he is, because he was like, you know, just a drug addict and not taking care of his body at all. So he just looks sick all over his, like the, he just sick. Yeah. The and, evil, the evilness is almost like <laughs> taking over his outsides as well. Yeah, that's literally what he looks like. Like and he looks like he's rotting from the inside out. Also, um, this whole. So, did you watch? Do you watch American Horror Story slash? Yes. You watch- so American Horror watch- Story Hotel. Did you watch American Horror Story 1984? No. So I haven't. Um, I did watch Hotel and there is okay. that Halloween where like the spirits come back to life and he is there. So that's how I knew. I was like, I know he's staying at the Cecil because that was placed in the Cecil Hotel. Yes. But when I did look it up to find images, it brought up American Horror Story 1984. Yes, and so, so the, the actor that plays him scarily looks like him. But obviously that's kind of part of like why they hired him. But yeah, the actor that plays him looks a lot like him, but like, you know, healthier, mm. less emaciated and scary. Um, but he does like look like physically has a very similar uh face to his yeah. it's so creepy but in american horror story 1984 he, he is a ghost but he's like he reincarnates himself by making a deal with satan and then he <laughs> and this is when i stopped watching american horror story uh I stopped at Roanoke. Or no. Oh I... no, sorry. He's not dead. He's not dead. He's a he's immortal because he makes a deal with the devil. So he's oh. because this is like it's nineteen eighty four, so this takes place Richard Ramirez's time. Like right well, right before, obviously, yeah. Yeah. So um in so he's immortal because he made a deal with the devil. He can't die. So he like starts dating one of the characters. <laughs> I guess you want to call it that he has like a sexual relationship with one of the characters and which which does is it uh Emma Roberts or is it um what's her name Billy Lord yes oh I love Billy Lord Fisher's daughter yes Mm -hmm. so he has a relationship with Billy Lord and um so many feels and then there's there's another serial killer in the that season story who's a made-up serial killer but there is a time where richard ramirez and this serial killer fight each other and it just feels like godzilla versus king kong or something where it's like (laughs) oh my god yeah it's it's an incredible actually it's very campy it's very cheesy it's very 80s it's so it's supposed to be like an 80s horror flick 
exactly so it's so good so i strongly recommend that season even though that that plot sounds really crazy but it actually is like so fun to watch like it's such a fun oh my god i mean don't get me wrong like i love the beginning seasons of american horror story um i didn't really like the hotel one very much and i stopped after the political apocalypse one mostly because it just felt too real um and i and i couldn't keep up with it um but uh, yeah, I guess I'll have to check that out though. Uh, let's get through the rest of this and then I'll see how I feel afterwards. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I mean, like I'm, I'm excited to keep going. Um, I definitely, like I said, feel that alcohol definitely needs to be involved. Um, yes, because- okay, for sure. Because I already started watching episode three and we're gonna, and you know how you told, did you start watching it too? We yes. need to like yell about something. So. Oh yeah, no, I yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh well, while I wait for Abby, I guess I'll just keep going and just watch it for fun and not yeah. take notes yet. Um, but yeah, there were several moments where I'm like, oh, I'm not gonna have fun with this. Like this it, is it gets, just. It gets even crazier, and I actually because normally when you listen to stories, when you listen to podcasts about Richard Ramirez, or you know people tell stories about it, it's usually like um a a biography of Richard Ramirez's life but this is from a completely different perspective which is the perspective of victims and law enforcement Mm. and I really like that yeah because because you you don't have sympathy for the person because you're like I don't feel like okay there are plenty of people who have grown up in bad situations who have you know, been adopted, who have been, you know, molested or abused or, abused or well, all these horrible things, at, but they don't become serial killers. They don't do these awful things. If you look at all the people that Richard Ramirez hurt, uh, all the children that he abused, they didn't all grow up to then do the same thing, or they didn't all grow up to become serial killers. No. So it's, it, it kind of gives you a, a more... A, a perspective where it's like okay you know yes we can talk about how Richard Ramirez meets the serial killer triad of the head injury and the bedwetting and da, da, da. Uh, that thing we can talk about mm-hmm. how he meets that and talk about him from a psychological perspective but it's it's I really appreciate and that's what I really liked about um I'll be gone in the dark mm. by Michelle McNamara was that she told this story from the victim point of view yep more so than the killer point of view and I just really like it from that other side where you get to see um the you don't need to we don't need to see the humanity of the killer we need to see the humanity of people that survived and the family members of the victims um Mm -hmm. like that's the humanity that we want to see that's the sympathy that we want to be having so we don't we don't need to learn too much about Richard Ramirez's childhood to know that just to understand that he's a fucking monster but like hearing about the crimes he's done told from the perspective of some of his victims and some survivors of him is is much more impactful uh I think in getting that message across about how much of a monster he is it was oh yeah 110 percent I agree with you on that yeah so Um, I'm really I'm really liking it so far I like it better than uh, I like it better than the Ripper so far but we'll see uh, yeah I think it's more of just um hmm. I don't know I I think it's the the style of Mm-hmm. I think it's the style of filming. I also yeah. think that it's um, 
you're more of cheering for the police department rather than, than being like get it together <laughs> you're like come on like yeah these, these simple little things are driving me crazy versus like these guys are like no like like we we're going to scan everything we're going to look in on everything we're going yeah. to hear about everything we're not going to you know just because they don't fit the certain type of people we're just going to throw out completely that yeah. these these su suspects exactly it's like if they had if if the LAPD had then started going around and asking every man they saw if he owned this pair of shoes and if he said no okay he's no longer a suspect like that's kind of what the Yorkshire police did yeah so yeah. the ripper made you more angry than anything yeah. else this makes you feel like sick and gross and you're just like I just need him to get caught because like these people yeah. like you're feeling bad for the detectives like I'm just like Gil go to sleep and I don't know why like the difference between 1977 and 1985 is not that long of not that huge of a difference but mm -hmm. the 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 ripper felt way older, older. Mm -hmm. it felt black and white era it felt forever ago old and and this one feels a little bit more it feels more recent it feels newer for some reason but well it's also like like you say like it's not that far off and I just keep thinking like even the ripper even even this like our parents lived through this they lived through both mm -hmm. stories like yeah you know it, it's just crazy when you think about that of like all of the chaos and destruction and just like how can you go from like the 70s where like you're dealing with like hearing about Manson and then the Golden State Killer and then the Hillside Strangler and then the Night Stalker and you're I'm I'm like literally how is there anybody any woman specifically living in LA like just leave go somewhere else <laughs> like, yeah I would get the fuck out of there so fast oh yeah gone before you knew it <laughs> like, be like, don't care quitting my job leaving everything behind going peace. back home don't care. care not worth it my bitch so scary it's so scary yeah so <sighs> my my right. brother actually asked he was like why why do you females he's like a lot of females listen to our stuff and I know that a lot of women listen to true crime like what is it that like captures women's attention and I was like it's because we're scared of being killed and yeah. so we have to do the research that like maybe maybe from learning something from these these lessons that we can prevent ourselves from being harmed in any way and he was like that's really sad and I was like yeah um just uh you know like don't kill us and maybe we won't fear for our lives Anywho, <laughs> Posi positive vibes for the for the week, Abby. And time for those posy vibes. So, uh, let's see. What's my positive vibe of the day? Um, uh oh. Do you have one? Go first because I don't think I have one yet. Um, I I kind of I was laughing at myself while I was getting ready for this episode. Um, of that this time I'm the person who really needs a shower so <laughs> I'm really looking forward to a shower um and um yeah just uh 
I'm looking forward to um, my positive vibe is that I think that my new meds are working. Like I feel better. Um, But I am still like, I'm only on day like five right now. So like, I'm still transitioning off my old ones and onto my new ones. But I definitely feel more positive, especially when my mom's like, did you drink before you came over here? Because I was just like goofy and like being eccentric. And my mom's like, Are you good? Because your energy's yeah. like up here. And I'm like, Thank God. Uh, <laughs> for once. For once, yeah. yes. Um, that is, that's really good news. That's mm-hmm. great positive vibes. Yeah, so think, um, that's good. Yeah. I think, uh, I think my positive vibe will be that. I'm going to try to do some self-care tonight as well. I'm going to try to do some coloring. I have, uh, I don't know if I've told you about my coloring book that, I, I have this coloring book that teaches you how to draw. Oh, um, no, you haven't. Yeah, so it's, it's uh, it teaches you how to draw and then you, and it has like half drawn coloring pages and you finish the coloring page and then you color it in. So um, it's so relaxing and soothing and it makes me feel creative because I'm creating things and I also get to color at the same time um so it's like it's such a good feeling to do so it's been it's been my my preferred self-care activity for a while so I think I'll do that today oh that's awesome yeah well you're gonna have you'll have to post a picture I guess (laughs) sure yeah I can send a picture I did one I did one page um already I've done this whole big flower design page that is really elaborate I can send it to uh you guys to you and Aaron for Aaron to post um that's awesome though but I was good I was yeah I was gonna say well you know you gotta do what you gotta do for self-care and uh love that for you so we're we're doing good even though we just talked about a super depressing case we're doing good we're doing great um so uh, we just we just threw up peace signs like we're basic white bitches for the people who can't see the video because i re i realized that like i didn't hear the fact that um when i was re-listening to the old episode last week it was like or two weeks ago i guess now the whole like me dabbing and then saying like I'm 26 year old 26 years old like I didn't explain that I was laughing at the fact that I'm 26 dabbing um (laughs) and so it just sounded very weird not knowing the context so I apologize for that but anyways (laughs) okay well tell us about our social media yes so you can go ahead and follow us on our instagram we are at caffeinated crime pod and on our twitter we are at cwc pod you can also send us emails with stories episode suggestions or really whatever else you want to say um to our email marissa Yes, our email is crimeslawcaffeinated at gmail.com, as well as the fact that we are going to do, um, if you, uh, we, we said last week that we wanted you guys to tag your friends in a post with us to, um, you know, have them start to listen to us as well. And so we've decided that we're going to actually um enter people in to win a $25 gift card so um make sure that you go on our Instagram or as well as Twitter um and feel free to tag your friends and send them our episode and let us know that you have done so so that we can enter you in for the drawing so 
Yes. The deadline for the contest is going to be March 16th, 2021. So make sure you do that by going on our Instagram and posting there. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So uh, as always, everybody, remember to take take your meds. Take your meds. All right. Bye.